Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Into it, we are concluding our series. We're concluding our series. It's going to take all of us studying the book of Haggai. And I don't know about you, but I love when we study books of the Bible. I always feel like, man, they they turn out so well. And this has been no different. I've really enjoyed preaching through the book of Haggai. Next week, we actually begin uh, what I'm calling No Series November. And so it's just, they're not, they're disconnected messages, but it's like, what's God saying today uh, for this moment? I'm really excited about that. I'll kick that off next week. But we're gonna conclude Haggai today. And, um, and, and last week, actually, this past week, I was, in, I was at two conferences. I was in Dallas, Texas. I was in Miami, Florida. And when I went to Dallas, uh, we were going to this conference, and I took a couple guys with me. Uh, do you guys know Pastor Julio? You do? Yeah. Well, well he has a, an alternate personality when we go on trips. I want to introduce you to Trulio. We call him Trulio. And here's Trulio. And uh, this is Trip Julio, who is obnoxious and over the top and annoying and has these expectations that everything needs to be just perfectly uh, crafted and curtailed for him. That's Trulio. And uh, when we were uh, about our father's business on our conference, uh, going around doing our thing, the conference in Dallas was at this church. They have 20,000 people. And it was crazy. Julio had never, he's from Kensington. And, uh, and so he had never, he thought when he went, came to the block church and there was a hundred people, he was like, wow, this is a mega church. It's like, no, bro, it's not. So, but when we went there, he was just like out of control. You know, he's like, please take me everywhere. They have a kitchen. They have a cafe. They have built-in coffee. I mean, he just couldn't, couldn't get over it. So here, this is him laying down after his back surgery, taking photographs. Okay. He was so, amazed they had a parking garage and he just could not get over it. He's like, I have never seen anything like this in my life. And we left them there. And so just kidding. She made it back miracle. But it did kind of make me think of, of the final passage here in Haggai. And really it's, it's the culmination of it is God basically saying this, you haven't seen anything yet. And, and that's really what I love about God because every time you think that it's finished or that God is done or there's not anything else, God always seems to prove himself that he keeps getting greater and keeps getting bigger. He keeps doing more miracles, signs, wonders. I mean, we serve a limitless God. And I think if you've seen something in your journey with God, I'm here to tell you today, you haven't seen anything yet. And so that's what I want to title my message today. I want to title it, We Haven't Seen Anything Yet. If you receive that word, would you say yes today? All right. So we're going to go to Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. I'm going to read 20 through 23, and then I'm going to jump backwards and do verse 6. I skipped it last week on purpose. Um, So here we go. Verse 20. On that same day, December 18, 
the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. This is really fascinating. First of all, if God gives you that word, you kind of got to be feeling like, man, I'm the man. It's like God's basically going to Zerubbabel, hey, I trust you. I'm putting my covenant over and on you. Uh, like a ring on your finger, like I'm trusting you, like you're my guy. And what's important about that and how it connects to us personally is in a sense, it's really the same thing that God says to you. He says, you're my guy. You're my girl. You're my person. You're my son. You're my daughter. I trust you. I'm in covenant with you. When Jesus died on the cross and when you received him, when he raised from the dead, when you invited him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, he washes us by his blood. He makes us new. He gives us his spirit. When you go under the water and you come up a new creation, in a sense, it's exactly what God's saying to Zerubbabel here. Like everything in the world could be falling apart, but you got me and I got your back. You're my guy. I put a, a ring on your finger. You are my son. You are my daughter. I've given you authority. I think it's really important for you to understand that. And what's even more fascinating, and I'll, I'll prove that to you, is the way the book of Haggai ends is crazy because Haggai, excuse me, Zerubbabel is mentioned in the beginning and it's connected to the rebuilding of the temple and it's connected to others. But then here at the end of the book, it's a direct word to Zerubbabel specifically. And I think what I love about this is Zerubbabel's name has a bad reputation. Hold that for a second. Zerubbabel's name has a bad reputation. Zerubbabel's grandfather, Coniah or Jeconiah, was singled out as the particular object of God's wrath in Jeremiah 22. Coniah was a signet ring that God, the Bible says, tore off his hand. Coniah would be given to the Babylonians. Kaniah and his mother would be exiled. Kaniah would die in a foreign land without ever returning home. Kaniah's children would also enter exile. Kaniah would be broken and despised among men. His children would feel the full wrath of God. Kaniah's children would never sit on the throne of David. And it's wild to me that God gives Zerubbabel, who's the grandson of this individual, influence and governorship even as his grandfather was incredibly unfaithful to the Lord. And what's even crazier is the people, they knew of this history 
And it had to probably have been weird or unnatural for them to trust Zerubbabel as the governor, given the history of his bloodline. What's even more powerful and more interesting here is, as I mentioned in Jeremiah 22, God says he tears the signet ring off Coniah's finger. But in this passage, he says, Zerubbabel, you will be like a signet ring on my finger. In other words, here's what God is saying to us and what he's saying to Zerubbabel. God is saying, I am a redeemer and I am a restorer. I use men and women and I go into covenant with leaders who will be faithful to me. I protect my plan. I protect my word. Even when everything else seems like it's falling apart, when a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, whatever it is, it won't come near you because we're in covenant. God is restoring, and I'll explain this here later, God's actually restoring the reputation of his people and of his church, his temple, through Zerubbabel's faithfulness. Again, what I love about this is, is you can put yourself in this seat for a moment because as Zerubbabel's bloodline was toxic as Zerubbabel's bloodline was messed up, as his grandfather was a great sinner, God is still choosing to use, to restore, to redeem, to elevate and promote Zerubbabel. What it tells us is, is it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you used to be. It doesn't matter who your family was. It doesn't matter the kind of sins you used to commit or where you were 10 minutes before you got here. When the blood of Jesus covers you, you are redeemed. You are restored. You are righteous. You are new. God puts a ring on your finger and says, I'm in covenant with you, son or daughter. I give you authority and I want to use you. Will you be faithful to me? And then, I love this because in a sense, God's rebuilding his temple with Zerubbabel having the authority, rebuilding his church. And I love this because God will take messed up people like us and give us authority to build his kingdom and restore the reputation of his kingdom. And I mean, with all the documentaries and podcasts and weird things going on and all the stuff in the news, I mean, it's not, it's not a secret that the church or at least the reputation of the church has taken a little bit of a hit. But I believe, and I know that God will use people like you and I who are faithful and who are redeemed to restore the reputation of a church because it's the church, it's the temple, it's the kingdom that creates a pathway for people to get to God. What I even love further here, it's powerful that the prophecy of Christ coming to redeem us is within this. This is why I told you this last week. You're always looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. Listen to this, this is crazy. Joseph, who's the earthly father of Jesus, is in the family line of Zerubbabel. Matthew 1, Luke 3. Isn't that so crazy? I mean, I could get into the fact that in the line of Jesus is a prostitute. Isn't that crazy? Even better, isn't that good news? 
See, building the temple, it's an entryway for Christ the Savior to come. That's why it takes all of us. In other words, when we build the temple, when we build the church like Zerubbabel is doing, okay, we are creating a pathway and an entryway for Christ the Savior to come and do his work for and through others. Zerubbabel, just being faithful, ends up in the line, the bloodline, where Joseph is then birthed and then he stewards his family. Friends, our work in building God's church is way too important for you to think that you're not important and for you to sit on the sideline. It's way too important for you to go, well, I'm just uh, nobody. I don't have anything to offer. I'm too busy or I've got too much stuff or too much. For you to sit on the sideline, if God's going to take a redeemed man like Zerubbabel, he will take a redeemed person like you. Now, I want to go backwards to verse six. This is what I skipped last week, and then you'll see why. For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, in just a little while, I'll begin to shake the heavens. I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake the nations. And watch this, the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse nine, the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. I love this. Again, we're gonna break this down. But essentially God's going, hey, what you've seen is good, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, this is the only portion, by the way, in Haggai that is then repeated in the New Testament. In Hebrews 12, 26, you see this announcement from the writer of Hebrews. Again, God's intention to shake the present order. And what that means to shake things up, to, to, to move things around is this, is that everything that can be shaken on earth will be shaken. And I don't know, you've been paying attention. But boy, oh boy, the world and its leaders and its governments and its nations are shaking. I don't know what we are on the precipice of. I don't know if we're headed to World War III. I don't know if we're facing further chaos. I don't know. I think maybe next week I might touch on some of this, I'm still praying through it, but here's what I do know, that the world will be shaken. Here's also what I know, you don't have to be. I feel like I should have heard just a slightly louder amen. <laughs> the, the world and its leaders or people who call themselves leaders but aren't leaders, the world and their governments uh, the world will be at war. The world will be at peace. The world will be in chaos. The world will be calm. It is back and forth, up and down. Here's what I know. While the world shakes, believers don't have to. And that's encouraging. 
And that's just the truth. And what, what Hebrews is saying is, and it's just repeating the many things that Christ is saying to us, the many things we hear God saying that if you build my house and you build your life on my house and me, that when everything else is shaken, you won't. Because friend, you don't live in the world's economy. Friend, you don't, you're an ambassador here. You're not a citizen here. Okay, like, like my home is heaven. I know that one day I'll spend eternity with Jesus and every tear will cease and every pain will cease and I'll probably be taller than you there and skinnier than you there. All right, maybe not that. But you know, all the troubles of this life, Jesus says in this life, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome all that. That's good news. But also what we see here, and many ancient commentators are referencing this, is that this is a prophecy of the Messiah coming, of the temple being rebuilt in the days of Haggai and Ezra. And you see the line, right? You see the line here, the treasures of all the nations. Another translation would say it like this, the true desire of all the nations, and so God, of course, is, is the greatest linguist and uh, writer. And of course, he inspired people like Haggai and Ezra and many of the writers of the scriptures to pen the words of our Bible, right? But, but, but God's doing something special here. He's doing two things at once. And you see Jesus doing this because you know Jesus is the son of God and you know God, you know they're related, right? Because Jesus does it all the time. Jesus climbs in a boat and he rescues Peter, but he's also preaching to everybody else two things at once. You know, you, you see it when Jesus feeds the thousands bread, but at the same time, he's giving them the bread of life. I mean, you can see it over and over and over and over again where Jesus is always doing two things at once. He's telling us a story. He's drinking water from the woman at the well, but he's also giving her water that she'll never need to drink again. I mean, so you know, if, if, if God's doing two things at once here and Jesus is doing two things at once there, it's all connected. And what God's doing here is, is he's making a statement that I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. And then he goes on to talk about silver and gold are mine. Well, God's doing this kind of double thing here where he's like, okay, um, Jesus is mine. The Messiah is mine. And Messiah will be brought to this temple, which eventually Jesus goes and worships at this very temple. But furthermore, the people and people in general, you and I, we naturally drift towards and grift towards thinking that it's silver and gold that satisfies us and is our desire. Because if I just have enough money, if I just have enough silver and gold, I can have the house I want, the things I want, the people I want, the stuff I want. I can live the life I want. And what God's doing here is he's going, the treasure of all nations will be brought to me like the treasure, the desire of all nations. What is the desire of all nations? People think it's resource. But I love what the theologian Charles Spurgeon says. He says, Jesus, he is the one, the true reformer. 
the true rectifier of all wrong. And in this respect, he is the desire of all nations. Oh, if the world would gather up all her right desire, if she could condense in one cry all her wild wishes, if all true lovers of mankind could condense their theories and extract the true wine of wisdom from them, it would just come to this. We want an incarnate God and you have got the incarnate God. Oh, nations, but ye know it not. Ye in the dark are groping after him and know not that he is there. In other words, Charles Spurgeon is reiterating the true meaning of what the prophecy is is that all nations actually desire God and think that it's silver and gold that provides them God's status. And it's not. Jesus is the desire and the treasure of all nations. And if that is the case, which we believe it is, we know it to be true because if you met Jesus, you know he's greater than silver and gold. If he's redeemed you and healed you and saved you and loved you, and if he redeemed your old name and your old ways and your old life, like you know, silver and gold can't even touch it. But if Christ is the desire of all nations, even if they don't realize it, then we must desire Christ for all nations. I'm going to say it again. I want you to be more excited about the fact that you're called to bring Christ and to build a place where the nations come to experience Jesus. If Jesus is the desire of our city and of our nations, even if people don't realize it, we must desire Christ for all nations and our city. We must pray fervently for those to know Christ we must pray and practice boldness and evangelism. We must represent Christ in all places, in our workplace, in our home, on the street, at school, in the voting booth, at the bank, everywhere we go. I am a representative of Christ Jesus. I am an ambassador here. Heaven is my home. My desire is that Christ will be filled and everywhere I go, people will experience him. When we are obsessed with chasing silver and gold, we forget to see and chase the true treasure of all the nations. And God's like, it'll all be brought to me anyway. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You can't take it with you. You can gain the whole world, but lose your soul. What God was saying to them was, you don't need to be discouraged if you don't have enough money for the building project. I'm interested in your heart and I'm interested in your sacrifice. They had to boldly trust the God who owned every resource and who would release it back to them even more generously than they gave it in the first place. I do want to say something briefly on this note. 
to those of us who are actually considering being generous and giving for the first time. Because it is for many a scary step to trust your church, but also trust the Lord. There's a common misconception that your amount matters. And that's not true. Your amount that you give does not matter. It's your obedience and your sacrifice. Because my amount will be different than yours and your amount will be different than the other person. The question is, is did you say yes to God? And do we have equal sacrifice? And what God was saying to them is, you don't need to worry about if you will have because you've released. I own it all. And I can release more than you could ever imagine back to you. In other words, you haven't seen anything yet until you trust me. I read this story about Hudson Taylor, who was this great missionary to the interior region of, of China. And in the second half of the 19th century, he, he, he understood this principle in life that I've got to trust God because he owns it all. And as a young man, he was preaching in boarding houses and in the slums of London, and he was all over the place. And one day, a, a very poor man asked Taylor to go back to his home because his wife had given birth and they had no money, they had nothing. They couldn't afford the priest to come and pray and give his wife her last rites because she was having complications from childbirth. And when Taylor said yes, and then we went to the house, the, the house was filthy and they had no food and no money and... When he walked in, he instantly thought about the 20 coin that he had in his pocket, almost saying, thank goodness I have something. And as he began to speak to the family about God, God started to speak to his heart. And he was speaking to this family who were not believers about God. And God said, you hypocrite. What's in your pocket? telling these unconverted people about a kind and loving father in heaven and not being prepared yourself to trust him with your own 20, you hypocrite. He was taken aback, of course, because I don't know if you've ever heard God speak to you, but our initial response to God speaking to us about something we're holding is initially a little bit of a conversation, an argument, or even a negotiation with God. And Taylor wished he had had his 20 split in two, a 10 and a 10, because he could release the 10, keep 10 for himself, because this was all he had. Well, then he started to lead the family in the Lord's Prayer, and he said, our Father. And when he said, our Father, our Father spoke back to him and said, you hypocrite. How then could you expect for their spiritual needs to be met if you do not meet their physical needs in this moment? And as he finished the prayer, he finally submitted and he gave everything he had in his pocket to that family. And because he did, that family was able to eat and the mother made it and lived. I wonder what testimony was told that day. I'm not saying don't pray. You should pray. I'm not saying don't visit. You should visit. I'm not saying don't 
post about things that are happening in the world. You can post. I'm not saying those things, but sometimes there is a responsibility for us to be and build the temple of God right where we are. And sometimes that takes resource and it takes you saying, okay, God, what's in my hands? What's in my life? What need can I meet? When we really trust God, we will give and live a generous life. The provision and the return is up to God, but I have to believe that if God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, then he will provide for us in the buildings and the places we need. I have to believe that he will also provide for us personally, even when we think, God, you're asking too much of us because we haven't seen anything yet until we trust him. And friends, sometimes we are the sick mother in need and God provides through others, but sometimes we are the missionary having something and we've got to trust God with it. Here's the thing, until you do, you haven't seen anything yet. Now, I want to finish this series with the statement of all statements. Are you still with me, by the way? Okay. I know it's a heavy word today, but I, I just feel like the Spirit of God is here in this and God's speaking to you. And this is the statement of all statements. He says, the glory of this temple will be greater in the latter than its former. Eventually, what's interesting is Herod remodeled the second temple into something greater than Solomon's original. But more than that, and what I alluded to earlier is that Jesus shows up, visits, and worships at the very same temple. So in other words, God's word is true and rung true generations later. The temple, friends, is called, and God mentions it, a place of peace, of shalom. It means far more than stopping conflict. No, it is the establishment. When we build God's church in our cities, it is the establishment of a lasting righteous order. It is an embassy. When people walk into the house of God, all of a sudden their lives could have been chaos. But when a song is sung, when Jesus is welcomed, when you sing, when you worship, when you serve, when you say amen, when the word goes forth, all of a sudden the prince of peace is realized it's the establishment of the people of God that makes us the temple today suddenly we understand friends that our work our gathering our living, our serving, our worshiping, it matters way more than we think it does. That when we build God's house, He builds our lives. And when we build God's house, we create a pathway and an entryway for people who do not know God to meet God, the Prince of Peace. And when they have everything shaking in their world, they can walk into a place like this and all of a sudden the shaking ceases and they no longer are building their house on sand, but now standing on a rock that won't be shaken. thing is, is the temple, if you will, the church, if you will, it's, it's in part of what's to come. 
One day as believers, we will be worshiping before God in eternity, celebrating and singing and living in eternal harmony. And one day we'll have eternity with Jesus. So what we're doing is we are establishing in part a model, a, 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 a site at which heaven is on earth, a place where Jesus and his people exist. And because of that, countless miracles and wonders take place on earth in spite of our at times sin and lack of faithfulness. That we become in a sense the Zerubbabels of our day and of our churches where God gives us governing authority over certain areas of ministry and of our communities and of our life. And even though we've got some reputations and some sin and some challenges, God says, I'm putting a covenant on you that I'm going to use you and show you off to the world. That I'm going to allow you to put rubble on rubble on rubble and rubble and build a place of peace and wonder and miracles and friends if you do it together you'll have seen nothing yet you know pastor julio this is his other personality not trulio but julio when he's actually doing his job and not taking photographs there's been a lot of cool things that have happened at our port richmond location recently especially in the realms of drugs and freedom and people just overcoming addiction, even losing the want and desire. And I heard a story last month that a gentleman gave his life to Jesus and God delivered him from his dependence on drug on the spot. He told Julio, he said, I used to spend hundreds of dollars a week to support his habit and his lifestyle of going out all the time. And in a moment of sitting in that service, I accepted Jesus and I ain't going back. He doesn't miss it. And the people around him are noticing the power and the glory of God because of the radical transformation. So here's what I want to say. Thank you to those who give faithfully, who built a building in that neighborhood so that that person could walk in and experience the Prince of Peace. Here's what I'm telling you, friends. All the rubble in front of me, my life, the mess that was of my life, if I just say yes to Jesus and lay that brick on the next brick and lay that brick on the next brick and serve him with my whole life, God will use you and continue to use you too. Our verse of our church, Isaiah 61.4. This is our theme verse, if you've never heard it, that they us will rebuild the ancient ruins repairing cities destroyed long ago they will revive them though they have been deserted for many generations and people can say all they want about our city and our region unchurched hard to reach desolate drug-ridden broken economically destitute and in the natural, while all of those things might be true, here's what I know. We haven't seen anything yet. When the people of God get together and when the people of God occupy their world and their community and influence, I believe that signs and wonders are on the way. I'm believing for more healings, more salvations, more buildings, keys to our city, favor, provision, hope, compassion. 
passion, children coming home, more playgrounds built, more God on the move, God getting the glory. I don't know about you, but I've got a hope inside me that believes that the best is in front of us and that you and I together are going to build God's house and his kingdom and God's going to move on our behalf. I feel that today and I know it to be true. So I just want to say as I close my time, I've done this three times now, but I'm really done. I'm going to close this so you know I'm not lying. Here's what I want to say. I just want to say thank you, church. Look at me. Look at me, every person. Thank you. Thank you uh, for being such a loving, amazing church family. Thank you for those of you who have for years set up and tore down and play and play with kids and play music and do things without all the gratitude you should get and all the resources and do things for free. And thank you for those who give and serve and love our city and who just endlessly pray for us and for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And guess what? I know you don't do it for me. I know you do it for God, but I'm God's messenger and voice to you today. And from God's heart, I want to say thank you. Keep going. The best is ahead. I know God's not done with us. Yes, he's just getting started. Thank you, Lord. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.